Experts claim there is nothing tougher than a diamond. But at Diamonds Direct, we beg to differ. Have you ever met a mother? Strong, radiant, timeless. This Mother's Day, give her the gift that meets her match. With diamond jewelry starting at $200, plus Diamonds Direct's exceptional quality and unbeatable everyday price, you're sure to give her a gift that wows this generation and the next to come. Experience the thrill of jewelry shopping done right at Diamonds Direct. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. Live Nation presents Concert Week. From now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 summer shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirks Bentley, Janet Jackson, Megan Trainer, Peso Pluma, Sean Paul, Sum 41, and many more. For way less. Grab your tickets now through May 14th to see all of the artists you love all summer long. For just $25. $25 each. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to buy now. That's LiveNation.com slash Concert to buy now. What's up? This your boy Lil Duval and check out my podcast Conversations with Unc on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Dealing with pests can be a pain, but relax. Terminix can help. Because when pests show up, so does Terminix. With over 95 years of experience, they have what it takes to take on any pest problem fast. If your home or business has pests, don't stress it. Terminix it. Visit Terminix.com to book your appointment online today. That's T-E-R-M-I-N-I-X.com. From UFOs to psychic powers and government conspiracies, history is riddled with unexplained events. You can turn back now or learn the stuff they don't want you to know. A production of iHeartRadio. Welcome back to the show. My name is Matt. My name is Noel. They call me Ben. We are joined, as always, with our super producer, Alexis, codenamed Doc Holiday Jackson. Most importantly, you are you. You are here. And that makes this the stuff they don't want you to know. Thanks for tuning in, fellow conspiracy realists. You are riding shotgun with us on a pretty wild trip that doesn't have an ending yet. Spoiler alert. Today is the first part of a special two-part episode on an issue that uh, bores the heck out of a lot of people, but profoundly affects not just every single person living in the U.S., but every single person who is affected by decisions of the U.S. government or corporations in the U.S., meaning pretty much everybody on the planet in some way or another. We're talking about a multi-billion dollar industry that's influencing everything from, you know, what we eat to what we wear, what we see on the news to what laws you get subjected to, no matter how you vote. Because the the United States, you know, the, there was this... Um, there was this argument about this uh, a number of years back, and it still surfaces where people will say, well, the United States is not a democracy, it's a republic. 
it's kind of like uh, you could describe it as a constitutional federal republic. That means that if you are a person who votes in this country, you are not voting for laws directly. You're voting for representatives. So like, uh, let's say Matt, Noel, and I all get together and we want some laws changed, but we don't want to be in Congress. So we elect codenamed Doc Holliday. And in theory, codenamed Doc Holliday or any elected representative will exercise our will, our political power. Cool, great on paper. But the problem is those representatives themselves are humans and human beings are easily swayed. So let's talk about lobbying. Here are the facts. First, this is a word everybody hears, especially during election cycles, right? And as more and more money goes into election cycles and they get longer and longer, you hear the word more and more often. But what does it mean? You know, nobody really talks about that on the news. They don't say what lobbying is very often. Well, I mean, the history of the word is interesting in and of itself. I mean, it refers to the these original kind of special interest representatives that would literally hang around in the lobby of of Congress um, and just kind of like tug on the coattails of lawmakers, you know, before it was maybe quite as ensconced as an industry. Um, but, you know, lobbying is something that is, you know, mentioned and set forth in the Constitution. But it's another one of those things in the Constitution that – is up for interpretation. And uh, because of the looseness and the way the language is written, it's the kind of thing that just because of a couple of sentences or a couple of words in the Constitution that allows us to, you know, petition our lawmakers, um, that means that we can hire firms that specialize in petitioning our lawmakers uh, to get laws passed that either benefit an industry or that uh, maybe get rid of laws that could uh, hurt an industry. Yeah, I want to spend some time on the etymology because I think it's amusing and we're going to need to laugh in the course of this episode. So it, it is a word that gets thrown around a lot, like I said, and it trends. You can see it trending uh, in a way that's tied to scandals and election cycles. But lobbying as a verb and as a noun is relatively new to the English language. Uh, we see it really come into force the way it's being used now, uh, less than 200 years ago. And I found this great legend that, that I love the image of it. Uh, there's a legend that's been reported by a couple different newspapers saying that the term dates back to 1850, referring not to, uh, not to the lobby or the halls of Congress, but to off the books conversations at a place called the Willard Hotel. Because back when President Ulysses S. Grant was in office, the guy used to always go to this hotel and he liked to kick back in the lobby, uh, you know, drinking brandy, smoking fine cigars. And once people got word that the literal president of the United States was just hanging out and getting a little loose, various like power brokers or would be powerful people started just sort of, you know, happening by. Like, oh, hey, Mr. President, you're also at the hotel. I also like brandy. Let's talk about railroads. And they would take the opportunity to bend his ear about whatever issue was important to them. And then other members of Congress, the legislature, started kicking it there, too. And they also began receiving pitches from these people who, for one reason or another, preferred not to use official communication channels. And so eventually, according to the legend... President Grant started calling these people lobbyists because they were always at the lobby of the Willard Hotel. And I think it's funny to imagine, you know, the little, little directions uh, that history can go. 
we came pretty close, maybe, to him calling him something else. We don't know how much brandy he was drinking. He might have just called him the Brandy Boys or maybe the Willards. Oh, I love man. It. Brandy I love Boys. It. It, it, just to correct myself really quickly, the, the my version of this myth, you know, because, again, it is something that's a little bit tough to fully nail down, you know, which version is true as history kind of, you know, builds on itself, like you say, Ben. It um, wasn't necessarily the lobby of the Capitol. It was the lobby of the New York – the U.S. Capitol is the lobby of the New York State Capitol in Albany, um, which is – I think the word appeared in the dictionary – uh, around 1850 or before 1850. And one version of this traces it back to what I was saying, people hanging out in the lobby of the Capitol, waiting for lawmakers to pass, and then saying, you know, like almost reporter style, can I have a moment of your time? Let me bend your ear. I, I, I want to jump into the psychology of it really quickly because you, you hit something really important there, Ben. Just the fact that the president was kicking back a little bit. Yeah. yeah. The president wasn't in, you know, the go, go, go mode of being in the office, being in any of the official government buildings where, you know, the way you would feel if you were at your job place, there's a certain pressure that exists there. There's a formality to a lot of it. And if you can, you know, informally talk to the president just to have a conversation where there's, you know, a good feeling that that he's having because of the brandy, because of the cigars, because of just being in a different environment you're going to probably be more successful at getting the president, whoever it is, to feel a little bit better in some small way about whatever it is you're talking about. Scene and setting is not just for LSD. Not at all. <laughs> it's about relationship building, you know? I mean, it's like, I am your friend. You are my friend. How can we help each other? You know, um, yeah. it's it's a lot. You're right. It is a psychological dance. And I think both parties are very much aware of it. But, Matt, you're absolutely right. It is almost subconscious where when you're hanging out and having a few drinks with your quote unquote friends, it's a lot different than if you're having a formal sit down meeting, like, say, in an office where you're much more on guard. Yeah trying to keep a lot of personal opinion out of this, but I think nepotism and networking are terrible. They have a terrible effect on overall performance of organizations, but that's, that's the imperfect way humans have decided to pursue things. And while, while these lobby stories are, are fun, right. And while they all are, Somewhat true, it's correct that the, there's a murky origin to how we began using this word today. And it, all the stories do describe exactly what the term depicts. People literally hanging out, trying to catch powerful policymakers off guard, and then pushing them by hook or by crook to use their influence to some specific end. And the Oxford English Dictionary records some sense of the noun lobby Back in as far back as 1640, oh, wow. which was just a place for legislators and members of the public to meet and discuss matters of import. That, I would argue, is a lot more like what we would call a town hall today. Like you can't – it would be unusual for the average American voter to drive or fly to Washington, find their representative's office, and just do a walk-in. I mean, they could, but it'd be really unusual for that senator or uh, representative to be like, oh, yeah, I'm not doing anything. What's up with you? Do you want some tang? It was yeah. on the moon. <laughs> well, and, and most importantly, it probably wouldn't be welcomed by that legislature or powerful person, 
like just a walk up, right? Right. Well, they'd be, yeah. And that's not them being jerks. You no, know, that's it's, very, this is just a very busy schedule. Exactly. Yeah. And so now here in the U.S., lobbying is this strange but crucial part of American government. It's an unelected part of American government. Uh, they have uh, lobbyists and the forces they represent are all unelected. And they have much, much more influence than the average voter will ever have. They're well-connected professionals. They thrive on, you know, the poisons of nepotism and networking. Uh, That doesn't make them bad people. That's just, again, that's how the process works. Uh, They're often lawyers. And you'll hear a ton of true stories about lobbying, controversial stories, scandals. You'll also hear some unfair defamation. But there's one huge fact a lot of people miss. Lobbying is not just legal. The precedent for it is literally spelled out in the Constitution, at least as court rulings have interpreted it. It's it's uh, protected free speech. It's a way to, quote, petition the government for the redress of grievances. Those are two freedoms protected under the First Amendment. Yeah, absolutely. It's like I was saying, I mean, you know, you can look at those sentences in the same way many interpretations of the Constitution lead to massive movements like, say, gun rights, you know, or uh, this is another great example. Like, I mean, it is this somewhat vague thing that feels more like my right as a citizen is to redress the government. But then because of all the reasons you mentioned, I as an individual am incapable of truly doing that outside of voting or perhaps, you know, joining some sort of uh, protest. Um, But this is a very specific industry that has jumped up around these two or three sentences and become a massive, massive billion, multi-billion dollar industry. Yeah, it's it's a good point. I mean, let's, uh, I, I, Doc, I don't want to pick on you too much because you're doing us a, a massive favor by, by being on the show today. Uh, but let's say Doc is in a district that has a worrisome amount of pollution that's hitting the river, like the main water source for the town. And then Doc uh, writes a letter as an individual, but then organizes locally and gets uh, the rest of the people in the town to pull their money together and hire a lobbying firm to go to Congress and press for better environmental standards. That That is also lobbying, and that is very much not a bad thing. It's a, it's an umbrella term is what we're saying. Like uh, if Doc is writing a letter by herself to a representative, then she is personally lobbying that representative. But if uh, you talk about an organization like the NRA or APAC or something, they're lobbying professionally. That is several people's job, and they probably live in Washington. And we're not going to the, – the problem is so complex that we're not going to look at a ton of specific lobbies because each of those would probably be an episode of their own. But they're all – what we're saying is everything under the L word is a First Amendment right, and it's a huge – political is a huge part of the process. Like politicians honestly are going to have a tough time caring about what every single individual voter thinks. And that again, doesn't mean that they're sadistic or monstrous. It just means that they're trying to represent thousands or millions of people who have a lot of conflicting interests, right? So it's hard to build that consensus. That's why organizing in groups around a specific cause is one of the best ways to, you know, register on the politician's scale. And there are, oh my God, there are lobbies for everything. We might accidentally have a lobby. I don't know. I don't know. I didn't, I didn't check. 
Like there's, if you like imagine something in your head, folks, there is a lobby associated with it at this point because there's just so much money involved. A yeah, lobbying in that way is a lot like porn. It's a very good point, Matt. It's a very good point. But what was that? You think of organizations like, you know, say unions or trade groups, for example, that you think, oh, that's the, the way that workers organize and protect workers' rights. But that's not enough. Those organizations then have to go out and pool those resources and those dues and hire lobbyists to actually represent truly their interests in Washington. Otherwise, they're not. That's not their wheelhouse. Their wheelhouse is to kind of help craft policy, but not necessarily to directly reach. I mean, it's complicated because certainly there are uh, high ranking officials in unions that got elected that way because they have influence. Um, but the lobbyists are just an extension of that. Right. Ben, I want to I want to get into something that you brought up early on. It was the example with us deciding to vote for Doc Holliday to represent us. Yeah, got my this, vote. this this concept that we have we have things that we want and we're going to vote for her to go represent us and do those things. Mm-hmm. Um, it's interesting the way campaigns have evolved over this the century. Well, I mean, let's just say decades in the United States, but how campaigns have evolved to where there's a platform for a candidate, generally the you know electorate, the Ben Matt and Knowles choose the candidate that has that platform that has the most things that we agree with or, or want, right? Mm-hmm. Then that person gets hopefully elected if, if, you know, we have our way and then goes off to Congress. And then we really have almost no say in it. And, and it's almost as if we're not, we don't get to elect somebody um, who is specifically going to represent our wishes in that way. It's more like we hope, because of what they state their platform is, they're going to do. And the danger here that we're going to, about to get into is, and we, we keep talking about it, but we don't then have that access anymore. Uh, and, got some, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yes. That's that's where we're headed in this episode. Just so it's it's, it's this weird thing, I suppose. In um, Well, I've got, I've got some great, I've got some great analogies lined up, by which I mean dumb analogies that sounded funny at like 3 a.m. But uh, let's hope they land. Uh, we'll see. You guys are absolutely right. Uh, and this, you know, a lot of politicians, I would say that one of the missing pieces there that, that we also need to fill in is that um, our move to elect Doc Holliday is going to be much more successful if we ourselves are wealthy and we are able to channel our funds, not just in individual donations, but into things like super political action committees. Uh, so this this gets sticky. We're talking about special interest groups. This became somewhat of a bad word uh, in recent decades, but it just means people are interested in a specific thing. And there's nothing wrong with that. Uh, but the issue is that like many other fundamental parts of the U.S. government, this looks great on paper, right? This, oh, cool. I can talk to my boss or I can talk to my representative. But as we're saying, in recent decades, more and more people are concerned that lobbying has morphed into something different, something weaponized and increasingly out of control. What are we talking about? I'll tell you after a word from our sponsor. 
Live Nation presents Concert Week. From now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 summer shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirks Bentley, Janet Jackson, Megan Trainer, Peso Pluma, Sean Paul, Sum 41, and many more. For way less. Grab your tickets now through May 14th to see all of the artists you love all summer long. For just $25. $25 each. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. That's LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a Job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer? Yeah, Snagajob's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. This episode is brought to you by Terminix. Terminix can't help you solve the world's biggest mysteries or take on alien life. At least not the ones you're thinking of. But they can help take care of pesky invaders in your home. Like the ants in your kitchen, the roaches under your sink, and the termites in the walls. Because when pests show up, so does Terminix. No matter what type of pest it is, they can Terminix it fast with personalized pest care that puts you in control. Their expertly trained technicians may not know true crime, but they know their local pest pressures. And with customized plans tailored to your specific situation, you get everything you need to not just get pests out, but keep them out for good. Between their speedy service, caring technicians, and over 95 years of experience, it's no mystery why they're trusted by homes and businesses everywhere. So if you have a pest problem, don't stress it. Terminix it. Visit Terminix.com to book your appointment online today. That's T-E-R-M-I-N-I-X.com to book online today. Here's where it gets crazy. So, Ben, that, um, that, the porn analogy here, I was just yeah. imagining that Is there <laughs> they're, a all porn special, lobby? they're all special interest groups, so it's like... But the specifically, feet, I want to know about interest group, <laughs> the uh, bondage special interest Whoa. group. <laughs> but but, but specifically, I, I want to know what is there a porn lobby? There has to be a porn. If there's a yeah, lobby, yeah, for yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, specifically, sure. you know, it's probably about uh, those like billboards they have to put before porn videos and what the language has to be. I'm, I I don't watch. I don't know. Yeah, why anti censorship. 
I think would probably 100%. be the way they get in, but I doubt it'll be like Toe Freaks of America or something yeah. like that. It'll be like Citizens for Freedom of Expression or something. But since uh, this is big, when we talk about big business, we have to understand it propagates itself. It becomes a, a big business all its own. Since the 1970s, lobbying exploded in the U.S., and today it's worth over $3.5 billion 12,000 registered lobbyists, full-time lobbyists, are representing hundreds, thousands of organizations, and in some cases, very powerful individuals, you know, like the, um, the billionaires, the multimillionaires, the heads of industry. These are 12,000 individual lobbyists, human beings. Yes. Got yes. It. That's yeah, a lower yeah. number than I would have thought, but I guess it all is mm. in Washington. It's a relatively niche, you know, community of folks. Yeah, small, uh, actually a small number of lobbying groups or organizations do the majority of this stuff because they've aggregated those connections and relationships. They've scratched enough backs, shook enough hands, but there's a sobering perspective I want to add here. So over $3.5 billion, okay. In 2019 specifically, that was $3.51 billion lobbying. And the total budget for the U.S. House and Senate combined that year was only $2.16 billion. So as frightening as it is to admit, lobbying itself is bigger than Congress, the organization it exists to influence in, through this financial lens. That's wild. That already seems kind of off, doesn't it? What, what the $2.16 billion, what does that include? Does that include swimming? Those, the, those, I mean, it's the budget joke. for how uh, Congress works day to day, right? Exactly. Got it. Just, just making sure. Because that does seem insane. Um, insane mismatch. My brain is like, it's one of those like memes with the brain like firing. You know, that's what's happening with me. But right we, now. Got, we got to pull it slightly into perspective, though, because if you imagine, uh, let's just say the Capitol building with all of the House and Senate, all the members in there, the elected officials. And all the entourages. Yeah. But then imagine that each one of those individuals is our Ulysses S. Grant individual going to a hotel lobby. Now, imagine that, you know, these varying groups all want to talk to that individual if they're from that state or whatever. Um, So you can imagine that there would be like one point five lobbyists per per elected official or two or three or 12. Yeah. And there's some, some specialists, right? Like this is, this is the hit man. When you want to get these four senators to do something, no matter what it is that happens. And then, and it happens way more often, I think, than the average person realizes. And that's why like lobbying is one of those main drivers of how laws get written in the U S and it's due to a couple factors. Uh, And they're not all nefarious, but they, create some dangerous conspiratorial opportunities. Like we said, politicians, if they're doing their jobs, are extremely busy people, and they're often, honestly, not going to be familiar with the specifics of a given issue. This doesn't mean that they're in any way unintelligent. It just means they have so much stuff that they need to think about on an expert level. So they need teams, subject matter experts, analysts, pollsters. They have to help them learn what their constituents care about, 
the ins and outs of an issue of concern, you know, like you might have, you might have an elected official who has a PhD or a master's in economics, but that doesn't mean that they understand how an estuary works, right? Or how uh, an ecosystem should be maintained. So they get these people together, and then they also have these folks pitching them ideas about how to address these concerns. Lobbyists can fill any or all of these roles. Yeah, you see it in any hierarchy in business or, you know, any organizational hierarchy where kind of typically the higher up you are um, in a leadership role, the less specialized your knowledge base is and the more you really depend on these, like, team members to, like, kind of have that certain set of skills. And oftentimes that can lead to some pretty significant disconnects, um, depending on, you know, how good you are at managing your team. Like every time, every time, if, if you watch C-SPAN for the, its, you know, <laughs> for its thrill ride programming. Uh, it just has a I, look to it, doesn't it? Just yeah. Everything always looks like the early 90s on C-SPAN. Mm. It never I, I, changes. I can never help but roll my eyes when I see a politician talk about cyber. It's like on oh, our geez. episode <laughs> on John McAfee. <laughs> yes. Where I, I think I had asked, I was like, look, I'm not not saying anything about either political parties in specific, but should the people who can't open emails be in charge of laws about emails? That's exactly the disconnect. That's how it happens. And it's because it's all about who you know, the euphemism they use uh, for doing these backdoor favors for each other is relationships, the relationships I've cultivated. What they're saying is the money I've given this person and the things they've done for me. They're not talking about going to each other's like kids' quinceañeras or something. And one that I really love too, Ben, that I just heard, I think I may have heard it before and I'm sure you, you fellas have too, but if you're not at the table, you're probably on the menu. Oh yeah, that's a good one. And uh, that's a scary one, too. Yeah, in but any it's business. so prescient for what we're going to talk mm-hmm. about today. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Good call. And so this is where these relationships, this is where the money comes in. Former and current lobbyists acknowledge, on one level or another, that money translates to access, to FaceTime, to the meetings. Picture it this way. Okay, uh, so now codename Doc Holliday has gotten elected and is in Congress. The Constitution protects the right to send a letter to your congressperson, but it says nothing about what, how that congressperson needs to respond, whether they need to respond, or when they need to respond. That part is up to them. So, uh, you know what? No, we voted for Doc because she's the right candidate. We're not going to talk about her. We're talking about the person next to her. Uh, Jonathan Strickland is also in office. Uh, he's, he's next door. <laughs> God help us. <laughs> he's, he's, a, he's the House representative for Insert District here. Uh, he's busy. He's got, uh, he's got just 30 minutes free at 3 p.m. tomorrow, and there are two different folks trying to meet with him. And they're saying, Congressman Strickland, uh, we have a very important issue that we want to talk to you about. And these two groups may be on different sides of this issue, but they can only, he's only got that one 30-minute slot. And he starts to look at them, uh, you know, get the background. One group has already donated pretty generously to his previous campaign. And several of his colleagues in the House have also dropped by and asked him to give this group some FaceTime as a personal favor. And then later they're saying, maybe we'll partner with you on that other bill you want to do. You can see how it becomes easy to choose who gets that time with Congressman Strickland at 3 p.m. 
in theory, of course, it would be best to meet with both parties because if you understand opposing views of an issue, you have an overall deeper understanding of the thing entire, you know? But and how then often a compromise does that happen? could happen. Right. But how often <laughs> does that happen? Yeah. Yeah. I, I want to bring weaponized psychology back into this, guys, because I think it's exactly what you're hitting on here, Ben. Imagine Ben Bolin, the podcaster, has, you know, left a message with your secretary and Ben Bolin, just this guy. Maybe it's an important person like Ben, but but it's just one person. Right. But it's it, maybe you aren't familiar with podcasts. You don't know who Ben is, but you've also got a potential meeting with the American Association of Podcasters, a potential meeting with them. And, you know, it's a representative of this group, this name that feels and sounds official. Um, I almost guarantee that congressperson is going to have the meeting with the official who's going to meet with that official sounding representative, I think. And it's a calculation, right? I mean, it's an opportunity cost, right? I mean, like you, you just like you, every, for all the reasons you, you, you laid out, Ben, um, it's a no brainer. And it's not necessarily implying some kind of quid pro quo. I mean, it, it's it's there if you look at it and you track the money, but it's not a direct, you know, pay to play. You can't necessarily point to it as being a conflict of interest. It's just that's just the rules of engagement. You know, of course, you're going to give your time, your limited time to someone who your colleagues have petitioned you to give time to and who has donated to your campaign. But you can't necessarily go back and correlate and say, oh, they only got this meeting because they paid to play. Yeah, exactly. And there's, and you know, to be fair, there's a really solid argument there when you're saying, look, it is my duty to represent the interests of, you know, my constituents. And I've got one person who wants to do their one person thing, but then I have this group. So I am now using my 30 minutes. Uh, I'm getting more bang for my buck chronologically. Uh, so now we're in a situation where we can see the, we can see the beginning of the problem. If you have ever wondered why the biggest corporations in the country <clears throat> and the international corporations based in other places, if you ever wondered why in times of crisis, they get regulatory rollbacks, they get the tax breaks, they get the bailouts, you know, when the average citizen, like during the pandemic, uh, many people are just, are, are literally struggling to eat. If you wondered why those corporations got the money first, it is because of lobbying. You can, you know, regardless of the calculus of like trickle down or whatever, you know, rationale you want to use, it wasn't those people who were hungry and had food insecurity and, uh, you know, were running out of unemployment benefits. It wasn't them that was able to speak to senators. It was a lobbyist representing a wealthy client. And that lobbyist can frame their advocacy of an issue as educational. Oh, and uh, let me tell you about the, you know what, let's get out of this. Let's, do you like cocktails? Because I know a great uh, mint julep place. They make a mean mint julep, you know. Uh, I think, uh, you know, some presidents went there. I'm actually, the, I'm actually the co-owner of this amazing five-star restaurant that we mm -hmm. can uh, bring you to and get all your get all your stuff comped. Um, and, and now, then, now then, I heard there was going to be a mint julep. Is there going to be a mint julep here? 
but Ben, you're right. The framing of it is so important because you can also even tie that framing back in a way that works in terms of optics for that constituency where you can say, oh, it's about jobs. You, you can't we can't die. We can't, you know, uh, go bankrupt because then it'll affect all of our employees who are your constituents and they need jobs, you know? Um, yeah. Bezos is saying, look, if Amazon has to pay taxes, yeah. civilization <laughs> will crumble. I know. Uh, and also here, you agree with me. Let me help keep you in office because you are the person America needs. So there's a little bit of flattery in there, too. People love that. That's like uh, the umami of conversation. And then you have to ask, like, uh, and again, this doesn't mean that these corporations are always doing sinister things just that they can and will. <laughs> this is all, again, completely legal. Of the top 100 lobbying entities right now, more than 90%, 95% are corporations. This was not always the case. Some listeners in the audience today may have been alive before the rise of corporate lobbying. Up until the 1970s, in fact, corporations, compared to today, they largely stayed out of Washington. If you were talking about lobbies back then, you were talking about, you know, like you mentioned earlier, Matt and Noel, trade unions, special interest groups. Those were bigger actors. What changed, what, what changed was regulation. It's so, it sounds weird looking back on it with the benefit of retrospect, but you can trace the rise of corporate lobbying to the rise of regulatory agencies in the 60s and 70s. People were like, hey, stop, you know, putting lead in everything. Or let's have a little less mercury. You keep some in. Or, oh, a better example. How much rat feces should be allowed in cereal? And this terrified corporations. Because they were like, look, if we have to start worrying about how often rats are pooping in Cheerios, civilization will crumble. And our, our business will be the first to fall. So... Politics now can become one of two things. It, be it becomes either an increased threat to our profits or it becomes an increasingly lucrative investment. And they went with the latter. That's, there was also this concern, and this is a part that I, it feels a little silly and ideological. There was this concern like, oh, the American public might be moving in a more socialist direction. We got to stand up for free enterprise because, you know, I, I am sure that there were corporate heads privately who were thinking like the end, the end of this trend, if we do not intervene, the end of this trend is going to be nationalization of companies. And that's where, um, that's where a state level power takes over, takes possession of uh, an, a company, right? Like that's why, like, um, for instance, let's say there's an oil field in another country somewhere, and then that country's government says, okay, sorry, Exxon or BP or whatever, we're going to take this. This is ours now. Um, get out. That's what they were worried about. And so they got into lobbying in a big way uh, for a while, Doc, can we get some like wild, raucous party noises? Yeah, it's party time. It's like when Tom Cruise is dancing in, in Tropic, uh, what was that? Tropic of Thunder? Tropic, Tropic Thunder. Thunder, yeah. Tropic. It's like when Tom Cruise is dancing in Tropic Thunder. Uh, you can have anything you want. It's free for all lobbying. We're talking a wild party, like seafood towers. You know what I mean? Get, get both of the appetizers, lavish dinners. You want a pedicure? Weird, but go for it. Nice flex. Let's go golfing, right? Hey, like to Noel's point, uh, hey, I, I have a really great 
uh, swimming resort. Let's go there, and then maybe we can maybe we can talk a little bit about this this whole copper thing. You know, <laughs> I don't want to mix business with pleasure, but again, they make main mint julep. Yeah. Uh, oh, you're still in Texas, representative from Texas. That's fine. We'll just send a private plane your way. Not mm-hmm. a problem. Not a worry, no, no, Senator. Let me get the check. And it, you know, it's a thing that happens. Like, I mean, we're we're all pretty uh, invested in our jobs, and when we hang out socially over drinks, what do we talk about a lot of the time? We talk about our jobs. We 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 kick around ideas. You know, um, it's just something that you do, and it doesn't. It's not inherently insidious. It's not inherently. It's just kind of the way business is done. You know, the whole golfing thing, like as a cost of doing business. Sure, we all like to play golf. Uh, I mean, I, I don't, but like, you know, we as in like the corporate elite, um, but that's where deals are made. Uh, it's not in the boardroom. It's it's on the golf course. And it's or, definitely or, not at Bohemian Grove because you can't do that there. Or at, uh, what's what's the new one? Sun Valley? Yeah, Did yeah. We talk about that? Yeah. So that's that's for the tech boys. We'll get to that. <laughs> but the, uh, but let's, so we're at the height of we're at the height of lobbying parties. It's a very good time to be a politician. It's a very good time to be a lobbyist. It's a very good time to own a fancy restaurant in Washington, D.C. But eventually the bubble starts to burst. What are we talking about? We'll tell you after a word from our sponsors. Live Nation presents Concert Week. From now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 summer shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirks Bentley, Janet Jackson, Megan Trainer, Peso Pluma, Sean Paul, Sum 41, and many more. For way less. Grab your tickets now through May 14th to see all of the artists you love all summer long. For just $25. $25 each. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. That's LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a Job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snagajob's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house. And I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. The 
This episode is brought to you by Terminix. Terminix can't help you solve the world's biggest mysteries or take on alien life. At least not the ones you're thinking of. But they can help take care of pesky invaders in your home. Like the ants in your kitchen, the roaches under your sink, and the termites in the walls. Because when pests show up, so does Terminix. No matter what type of pest it is, they can Terminix it fast with personalized pest care that puts you in control. Their expertly trained technicians may not know true crime, but they know their local pest pressures. And with customized plans tailored to your specific situation, you get everything you need to not just get pests out, but keep them out for good. Between their speedy service, caring technicians, and over 95 years of experience, it's no mystery why they're trusted by homes and businesses everywhere. So if you have a pest problem, don't stress it. Terminix it. Visit Terminix.com to book your appointment online today. That's T-E-R-M-I-N-I-X.com to book online today. We're back. There's a name you may have heard. You may not be familiar with it, but you probably heard of him if you were watching the news in the early 2000s. His name is Jack Abramoff. He was a lobbyist. Uh, if you look at his wiki now, you'll see that that is listed amongst his occupations, as well as the dubious distinction of being a convicted felon due to a 2005 lobbying scandal, which got dirty real quick. Uh, won't go into it, but it's it's a it's a wild ride, and there was a lot of uh, ink and time and legislation spent uh, in in response to this scandal. Uncle Sam started to tighten up the rules. Okay, I'm going to give everybody just a quick link to jump to on Fox News, actually. And it's a great timeline. It's titled Timeline of Key Events in Jack Abramoff Investigation. It's just a great place to go and just see kind of bullet pointed what occurred in that scandal. Yeah, I'm glad you're pointing that out. It's really helpful because it's easy to get lost in the details. So a curated timeline is is one of your best friends in that uh, in that regard. So Uncle Sam is like, all right. All right, we gotta we're gonna do something. And so they first have something called the Lobbying Transparency and Accountability Act of 2006, and then the better known Honest Leadership and Open Government Act of 2007. Very pretty title. I like it. Noble ambition. This did a couple things. It tightened disclosure and reporting requirements. So it, it required uh, people to document more of what they were doing. What, what was that plane flight for? You know what I mean? Where did you go? What kind of gifts did you receive? It set ethical guidelines regarding gifts and bribes. I mean, sorry, contributions, right? That's what we're supposed to call them, right? Like building relationships, <laughs> making contributions, bribing people. All right. So these acts also put in limits on uh, the infamous revolving door of public-private service in Washington. And so they said, all right, if you're a former congressional employee, which doesn't just mean a, a congressperson, you could be a congressional aide, uh, then there need to be some rules about, when, about how soon you can go into the private sector and start lobbying, you know, all the people that used to be your co-workers. It's a very effective relationship. Is that sort of the equivalent of like a non-compete clause, maybe, that one might sign working in a particular industry, which I know are notoriously tough to enforce, but is it similar? Yeah, you know, I think they're, they do have some similar DNA there because uh, you're, yeah, you could argue that you're going over to the other side. 
right? As depending on what client you're representing as a lobbyist. Or that you're taking proprietary information and using it for personal gain or, or for the gain of, of others, perhaps. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And so this law, this uh, 2007 law, problem solved, right? Uh, yeah. Let's call it a day. Let's head out. Who wants to go to Dave and Buster's? <laughs> Matt, Matt's going to David Buster. So unfortunately, we're in a not-so-fast situation. Opponents, there are many opponents, uh, some of them former members of the lobbying industry, they argue there's still no real oversight. They say the majority of these disclosures are voluntary and enforcement ranges from lackluster at best to downright non-existent. You know why? Because that scandal fell out of the news cycle. Now it's just like a wiki page and some articles from the early 2000s. And that dude, he's on a bunch of videos, like, talking about this stuff. He, he's on the news, you know, just kind of like, you know, giving the insight. It's one of those things where you, you get caught for doing a bad thing in an industry, and then the news cycle kind of passes, and you're no longer demonized, and you almost get to, like, big up yourself by speaking out against the ills of the thing that you were totally a part of in the first place. <laughs> right, right. And so let's fast forward. The money... Like the spice and dune must flow. In 2014, the Supreme Court weighed in and said there's no longer, there should no longer be a limit to how much money an individual can contribute in total to any campaign. And this leads to what's been called a one-two punch. It's like a combo move, you know, kind of like in Street Fighter or whatever your favorite is. I'm a, I'm a Tekken Soul Calibur person myself. Second punch is the uppercut, though, that knocks you on your ass. <laughs> right, right. You got to watch the frame rate on those. Uh, this is the combo move. You donate as much as possible through a political action committee, or you make large individual donations, or you do both, and then... Right after that, you send your crack team of lobbyists to Washington to follow up, and they're going to get that 3 p.m. meeting, make no mistake, and they'll probably also later take uh, that senator to a fundraising event, you know? And thanks to public records, we know almost every major entity that puts money into lobbying also donates to campaigns. Why? Because it works. It's a conspiracy, and it works. There's a really cool, uh, very concise and to the point video on CNBC uh, on their YouTube channel called um, How Lobbying Became a Multi-Billion Dollar Industry. And there's a conversation that uh, takes place between a lobbyist or a former lobbyist. I, I can't quite remember, but I think it's very telling. And the, um, the, the scenario is exactly what you just described, Ben. It's an exchange between the lobbyist and the, the lawmaker. And it's framed as like a, hey, we're friends. What can I do for you? How, what do you need? And then the lawmaker says, oh, I'm trying to raise a million dollars. Oh, not a problem. Let me do a fundraiser for you. I can take care of about 300K of that easily. Oh, thank you so much. Now, what do you need? Oh, I could use a little bit of help with these regulators. I could use a little bit of help with this legislation. Not a problem. I got your back. And and the very nature of relationships is that you got each other's backs. And it's it, it's not a bribe per se, because you're both doing things for each other and you're not really soliciting it because it's all in these very low key terms uh, that are all revolving around this friendship, this mutual understanding. Yes, the symbiosis. Yeah. Think about the class divide that this represents. You know, the, I mean, just how vast a difference there is between some networked person who's working as a lobbyist or within a lobbying firm versus a community 
somewhere in a city um, that doesn't have represent representation like that or doesn't know people in those same circles in the same shark tanks where they all hang out i don't know it's just a it's really alarming yeah yeah and again it only happens because it works in terms of the company's perspective it works for the companies and entities involved as well as the few powerful individuals wealthy enough to play the game but again, in this inherently conspiratorial swirl of deep money and re-election cycles, critics believe the normal citizens, whatever their personal political beliefs or leanings might be, often get left behind. And the reason they believe that is because it's true. It's absolutely true, uh, as we'll learn in part two, because this is just the beginning. In part two of our series on lobbying, we're going to dive deeper into some stories of scandals, and then we're going to explore uh, the troubling future of this devilishly effective practice. But for now, fellow conspiracy realists, we want to know what you think. Should lobbying be more rigorously regulated? If so, how? Because it seems pretty tricky to ban lobbying altogether because, again, it is literally enshrined in the Constitution, it is based on a fundamental, crucial right that the Founding Fathers wrote down. And the reason they wrote it down, people believe, is because they didn't want any one single interest to have too much influence. They already knew they were building a, a cauldron of tremendously contradictory aims and ideologies. Well, guys, I, you know, before we come back for the second part, I think we need to start a political action committee. I think it's time. What does it take? Is it, is it uh, I mean, you think there'd be somewhat of a barrier to entry, but I know there's like a bunch of these. And now with like Citizens United, it's like more easier, easier now more than ever to start your own political action committee. Remember when uh, old Johnny Oliver? He did do started that. Started one? Yep. Uh-huh. Mm -hmm. So our first steps are to get a tax ID. And I, I did look into this already. <laughs> to get a tax ID and a bank account appointed treasurer, you have the steps are easy to find, uh, but they they can be complex because there are, you know, there are barriers to entry. Uh, but yeah, why not? Uh, tell us what we should name our pack. Uh, tell us, is it Americans for Applebee's? Like what what is our pack about? It's it's about the locals sun-dried tomato wings somehow. Okay. <laughs> we'll call it the, we'll call it yeah. the B pack. Uh, we, you know, it's weird because the first thing I would want to do is have a pack that like is against nepotism and lobbying, but that feels like a non-starter. I feel like the politicians would take our contributions and probably take our meetings and eat the wings. That's what I'm saying. We get in with the wings. That's how we get started. That's our first like move. That's our first play. And then we can move on after they're, you know, addicted to the wings. We don't want to <laughs> eat the wings though, you guys. We want to eat the rich. Come on. Well, again, like to eat the rich, you got to get them fattened up on the wings. Okay, fair. okay, there, it's fair. it's like a four pronged plan, guys. We okay, <laughs> well, we've got we've got some uh, exciting work to do on our platform. You are welcome to join, and of course, as always, to uh, contribute. Don't feel like you need to contribute uh, financially. Uh, we're much more interested in having you contribute your ideas and your thoughts on this again active, multipolar, ongoing, quite terrible conspiracy.
This is true. You can find us on the internet. We are Conspiracy Stuff on Twitter, uh, Conspiracy Stuff on YouTube, where you can find daily video clips of each of our podcast episodes every week. Uh, and you can find us on Conspiracy Stuff Show on Instagram. Yes. And we're also on Facebook, Conspiracy Stuff. That's like the show page, but there's there's a really cool, uh, what do you call it, guys? What, yeah, what is Facebook, it? A group. It? A gr- a it's a group. There you go. Sort of a pack. Facebook pack. Yes, it's a Facebook pack uh, called Here's Where It Gets Crazy. We hi- highly recommend you head on over there. And you can also get out of social media and use your phone to give us a call. Get out of there. Call us. one eight three three 833 That's right. Three minutes. Those three minutes are yours. Give yourself a wonderful nickname. Uh, tell us what's on your mind. And most importantly, let us know if we can use your name and your voice on the air. If you have something that's just that, that you want to just tell us, but maybe don't want the public knowing, uh, that's fine. Just leave it at the end. But most importantly... Do not feel like you have to censor yourself. Don't feel like you have to call repeatedly. Don't feel like you have to squeeze a five-minute story into three minutes. Write the whole thing out. Send us an email. We read every single one we get. We always love to hear from you. You can send us a line anytime from anywhere at our good old-fashioned email address where we are. Conspiracy at iHeartRadio.com. Stuff They Don't Want You to Know is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Live Nation presents Concert Week. From now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 summer shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirks Bentley, Janet Jackson, Megan Trainer, Peso Pluma, Sean Paul, Sum 41, and many more. For way less. Grab your tickets now through May 14th to see all of the artists you love all summer long. For just $25. $25 each. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. That's LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house. And I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Attention, true crime enthusiasts. Searching for a way to unwind after diving deep into the mysteries that keep you up at night? Look no further. Introducing Lazarus Naturals, your trusted companion for CBD relief. With a commitment to transparency, Lazarus Naturals oversees every step from farm to doorstep, ensuring purity and quality you can trust. Visit LazarusNaturals.com today and discover how CBD can help you decompress and recharge for your next investigation. That's LazarusNaturals.com. Lazarus Naturals, your partner in unraveling the mysteries of true crime. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, or South Dakota.
Dealing with pests can be a pain, but relax, Terminix can help. Because when pests show up, so does Terminix. With over 95 years of experience, they have what it takes to take on any pest problem fast. If your home or business has pests, don't stress it. Terminix it. Visit Terminix.com to book your appointment online today. That's T-E-R-M-I-N-I-X.com. 